Well, the very first thing that I want to do this morning is say a huge thank you to uh, the people that came out today to make sure that we could have this service. You've already seen the worship team. Uh, obviously, who you haven't seen is the tech team in the back, Mike Roquam and Trish Buster and Bill Nye. And I am just so grateful for the willingness of people to kind of drive out through the snow and be here so that all of us, I think I hear a faint clapping from those of you who are watching on live streams. So we're ever so grateful that God has given us what we need to, even in a little different way, worship together, be under God's Word together, hear from Him together. And so let's do that. Um, normally, right now, I would be dismissing uh, the children to go to their classes, but obviously there is no need for that. But children, I know you can see me, even though I can't see you, but I know you're there. And I want to encourage you, I hope that you received one of these sheets that Mrs. Rolquam sent out uh, via email. If you did not get one of these, just find a blank piece of paper and use that to draw some things or to write some things down about what you learned from God's Word this morning. It feels, I'm sure you understand, it feels a little bit strange to stand here preaching to a pretty much empty room, um, but we know you are there, Crossway, and I, I know that you know that there are others who are tuned in right alongside of you, and so even though we're not together physically, there is a spiritual bond that God intends for us to enjoy even now as we gather around and open up God's Word together and hear from Him. So I'm going to do my best this morning to speak right to you, and I hope that you catch my heart and that you catch my heart for God's Word and that your heart is ready to receive God's Word this morning. I'm glad that even despite the snow that we can be connected this morning over and under God's Word. So let me invite you now to take your Bibles, would you please, and turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter. Find chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. I want us to look at just a few verses this morning, especially verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter chapter 3. But let me read, starting at verse 13, just to give us a little running start, a little context. You follow along as I read. This is God's Word, 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect." having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, once again, we, we just want to pause here for a moment and acknowledge you're the one that we need to hear from. And so God, open our ears. I pray you would open my mouth in such a way that it's easy for people to hear your word. God, thank you for being present with each one of us, wherever we are, in our homes or here or wherever we might be, Lord, I pray that we would have a sense as your church of your presence with us and the Spirit of God that unites us in Christ. Father, as we've just sung, let our souls be satisfied with Jesus, strong and kind. The Lord is good and faithful. And Lord, we now look to your word for an expression of that goodness and that faithfulness. Even though we do not see you, we love you. And though 
we don't see you now. We believe in you and we are filled with joy that is inexpressible. And so, God, thank you for your presence and for your word. Speak now. We're listening. Amen. Well, you will recall, at least I hope you will recall, that here at the beginning of uh, 2021, we're doing this brief series which I have called Anchors for the Christian Life. I have zeroed in on four different anchors. I'm sure that others might be included, but I've chosen these four as things that I've wanted to encourage us to make sure they are deeply, solidly, firmly set into our lives as we go into this new year. Remember anchor number one, read your Bible and enjoy God. Let's get that firmly and deeply set in our lives. Anchor number two, go after godliness. Let's get a purposefulness about Pursuing godliness, going after godliness deeply, firmly set in our lives. Anchor number three, encourage one another. We talked about this last Sunday, and we want that to be not not just randomly present in our lives. We want that to be a deeply set, firmly set anchor in our lives. And now today, anchor number four, be ready to share. Be ready to share the good news about Jesus that you have with others. You know, I actually didn't set out to do this, but I noticed as this sermon series was developing in my thinking, I noticed the correspondence between our our four key parts to gospel-centered discipleship. The call, number one, trust the gospel. That's anchoring ourselves in God and what He has said and done. Second, live out the gospel. That's purposefully going after godliness. Third, speak the gospel to each other. That's encouraging one another with truth. And fourth, share the gospel, which lines up directly with what we want to talk about today. Be ready to share. That's the fourth anchor that needs to be solidly and firmly and intentionally in place in our lives. And this is what God's Word is speaking to us today Christian, be ready to share the good news about Jesus. But let me start this morning with a somewhat surprising observation. I have found it uh, over the years of my Christian life, I found it so interesting that as important as evangelism is, as important as Verbally sharing the good news about Jesus with others, as important as that is to living the Christian life. I mean, think about the Great Commission. The last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says to them, listen, I want you to go now, go into all the world and tell people, speak, tell them everything that I've taught you, tell them everything that I've done, preach the gospel, share the good news. And that's not the first time that you hear that. I mean, throughout the entire Old Testament, there is this this impulse and instruction from God, talk about this, tell people about me, tell the news to the next generation, declare my glory, even, even out in the nations, share this with others and Given the incredible reality of God's provision of salvation, there should be an impulse in us that wants to speak, that wants to share. In fact, I can't help but share. I can't not talk about this. I think about that moment that we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 8, right after Stephen is killed, the first martyr. There is, as a result of this, this this widespread persecution against the church such that Christians scatter throughout all of the surrounding region. And what do we read that they did? They went about preaching the good news. Sharing the good news about Jesus. At this moment, when, when you would think that their natural instinct would be to be quiet, to kind of just hunker down, keep as low a profile as possible. Instead, they are going about talking about Jesus and how salvation can be found only in Him. So, 
in light of how important evangelism is to the Christian life, I'm surprised by how very little is said in the New Testament in terms of instruction to Christians about proactively sharing your faith. You just, you just don't hear the New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, James, John, saying, well, make sure you go out and speak to your friends and neighbors about Jesus. Talk with them in this circumstance. Talk with them in that circumstance. Verbally present the gospel. I mean, given how important it is, you'd think it would be a regular thing that we would hear. Paul, in his instruction to those young believers in the church in Philippi, saying, you know, make sure you, you verbally present the gospel to your friends and neighbors. And when he writes to the Ephesians, you know, make sure that you verbally present the gospel to your friends and neighbors, but it's not there. And that really surprises me. What is said, in fact, over and over again, is watch how you live your lives out there in the world among unbelievers. Jesus says it. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and come to glorify God. The Apostle Paul says it, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Be blameless in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights. The Apostle Peter really says it. Look back for a moment at chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look again at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Or look a little further down at verse, seven, uh, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then look at chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Christians living in a certain distinctive kind of way, and similar things are said in so many other places, that just by living like this, we adorn the gospel. We make the gospel attractive by how we live our lives. And so it should make us ask, right? Is my life, is the way that I live making the gospel attractive? Listen, we, we've, if you've put your trust in Christ, you, you've been brought out of darkness. If you've put your trust in Christ, you, you've been brought out of darkness into the light, and now he calls you, he calls us to be light, to be, to be luminous in the darkness so that others might see and be drawn to the light of Jesus. That's, that's what I see the New Testament writers urging over and over again. Watch how you live. Live your lives in a gospel adorning, a gospel attractive kind of way, and, and maybe... Maybe it's just an assumption in the New Testament that such a life is going to get noticed and maybe raise questions, arouse some interest. It would have been so radical in the Roman world to live like the New Testament writers called the people to live. It would have been so different. Such a life would have invited many opportunities to speak. So maybe the New Testament writers are assuming, of course, you'll speak. Like today, in certain places in the world where to live as a Christian is so radically contrary to the prevailing culture that it can't help but get attention, often not pleasant attention. 
Every year, there's an organization that is called the Open Doors World Watch List. It publishes a list of countries where it's the most dangerous to be a Christian. It's worth looking at. It's educational. It's very sobering. You live like a Christian or claim to be a Christian in these places, and it, it stands out. It gets noticed, and many times it will cost you your freedom. Sometimes it will cost you your life. There are currently an estimated 50 to 70,000 Christians imprisoned for their faith in North Korea. There are more Christians murdered for their faith in Nigeria than in any other country in the world. Christianity stands out in those places. And maybe compared to that, Christians don't stand out from their culture as much in the Christianized West. But I, I want to say two things about that. First, that's changing. And we all know it. We all sense it. We see it. You don't have to be an alarmist to see the ground is shifting in our culture and it's not shifting toward godliness. More and more the culture is offended by biblical righteousness. More and more people do not like or agree with the Christian definition of what it means to live rightly and what God says about things like, like marriage, like our sexuality, like family, like what it means to be a human being. So more and more Christians will be out of step with prevailing culture as it shows up in politics or in education or in entertainment. It's changing. And second, in any case, distinctive lives are still distinctive. If you are genuinely loving Christ and following Christ, whether you live in Northern India or Nigeria or North Korea or whether you live in small-town mid-America, your life will be different and it will stand out and it will be noticeable. And what the Bible says to us as Christians, in fact, very clearly, is be ready to explain. Be ready to share why your life is like that. Be ready. That's the clear and straightforward message of our passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So let's look at this. I just want to make two points this morning, two R's, readiness and respect. Or we can talk in terms of two questions. What are we to do? Be ready. How are we to do it? With respect. So first, readiness. Verse 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being ready, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now that verse assumes something. It assumes that there is a genuine reality in your life and that that reality is going to show up and be observable to others in the form of hope. There's going to be a, a hopefulness about you. And you know this. You, you can't just make that up. That hope is the product of something real that has happened in your life, some life-changing thing. And so the place to start is by asking, is that true of you? Have you come to trust fully in Christ? And do you now live by faith in Christ? That's where hope comes from. I mean, hope is simply faith looking toward the future. I want you to look very closely at that phrase right at the beginning of verse 15. Peter says, but in your hearts, regard, that word means honor, reverence, in your heart, regard Christ the Lord as holy. You'll notice at the end of verse 14, Peter said, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by people who might want to harm you. Instead, in your hearts, hold Christ in such a way. See him. 
Hold him in your hearts in such a way as your greatest treasure. Honor him in the one and onlyness of him and what that has meant for you. Hold him as the one you revere and love and trust and want to live for. Out of all of the people, out of all of the things in the world, he is the most important and most treasured thing in your life. You regard him as absolute Lord of your life. There is this this deep-seated inward confidence in Christ, and so you sing. All I have is Christ, and you mean it. And you say, having him, I, I don't need anything else. And you mean it. And given who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he's promised to, to do for you, that will produce hope in your life, a regular presence of hope. And Peter says, be ready to explain that. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. I, I, I don't want to rush past this, the importance of that first part of verse 15. Peter is, Peter's calling us to something here. He says, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. He's calling us to something. Get Jesus highly regarded in your heart and keep him highly regarded in your heart. Now, how might we do that? Take some time every day to think about what he's done for you. And by the way, this book will help you do that. Take some time every day to think about his promises to you. This book will help you do that. Take some time every day to to just spend time with Jesus, talking to Jesus. This book will prompt you to do that. And as you do that, you will be honoring Christ as your Lord and as the unique one and only Holy Lord. And that will cultivate a deep-seated inner confidence in Him, a living hope. And that's the kind of thing that gets noticed. And there will be, as a result of that, some asking about your life. Now, when when Peter speaks of, verse 15, anyone who asks you, I think he has in mind more than just the explicit question, what is the reason for the hope you have? Sometimes, maybe, someone might actually just come right out and ask you that question. What, What You're so hopeful. What is the reason for the hope that you have? But probably more often, it comes in at an angle. Why aren't you worried about fill in the blank? How can you be so calm in the midst of this work environment that we work in? Often it's more vague than that, just little indicators of interest, little, little open doors. But when Christ is Lord of your life and as a result there is a genuine hope in your life, that's going to register and one way or another people will be drawn to curiosity or interest. Not everybody, of course. In fact, some will be put off. But some will wonder and ask in a variety of ways. And Peter says, God's word says, be ready. Be ready with an explanation. Don't withdraw Don't be afraid. Don't hate. Live your life openly in the midst of an unbelieving world and just as openly explain when there is an open door such that when someone asks in whatever way about your faith or about your hope, you won't won't stand there kind of hemming and hawing and saying, well, you know, everybody believes something and I... I just happen to believe this, and I was raised this way. No, you will say something like, I have something to live for because of Jesus. And I've got something incredible to look forward to 
because of Jesus. Jesus gives me my hope every day and he gives me this sure confidence about my life after I die. Be ready with content, gospel content. Say, I believe God has done something to make a way despite our sin to be in right relationship with him and that gives me peace and that gives me great hope. And then watch as they say to you, what do you mean? And you say, you mean about that God made a way part? And they say, yeah, that part. And you say, well, all of us have sinned and the wages of sin is eternal separation from God, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that's just Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and John 3.16 put into a conversation. So be ready with content, but also, I think Peter's saying to us, be ready with your heart. Let the posture of your heart be one of, of eagerness and joy and openness and love. How will people respond? All sorts of ways. You, you'll get some who will be polite, they'll just kind of nod and say, that's great, but that's enough. And you'll get some who will think you're really weird and maybe even say so to your face. And you'll get some who will be set to thinking. And there will be some who will say to you, I wish I had that. Tell me how I can have that and you will lead them to Jesus. So that's the what question. Be ready. Now, secondly, how? Well, very simply, Peter says, with respect. With gentleness and with respect. You see that there at the beginning of verse 16? Yet do this with gentleness and respect with gentleness which means with kindness and with patience and with winsomeness like you care because you actually do care about them and then with respect why does Peter feel the need to say that well because there is a tendency in every one of us toward a kind of moral superiority. And that doesn't just kind of get turned off. That doesn't disappear when you become a Christian. In fact, if we're not careful, that can sometimes be fueled by being a Christian. Not because of something wrong with Christianity, but because of something in us. So Peter says, careful, careful. Purpose to respect the people you talk with. They are valuable image bearers of God. You are not better than them. You are both fellow sinners, one of you having already received the rescuing grace of God and the other now hearing about it. So let there be nothing offensive about us. If there is offense, let it be in the content of the message, not in our manner, not in our tone, not in our character. Ultimately, it's about love. It's the love of Christ through us that makes us gentle and respectful. To be a Christian is, is to be born of God. And so to be like your heavenly Father, to love like God loves. And to think about and feel toward and interact with unbelievers with God's heart. So even, even when we encounter the slander or the reviling that verse 16 mentions, we, we don't just say to people, well, fine, you can just go on your merry way to hell. No, we have God's heart toward them. We see them as human beings and we speak with them winsomely. You know, one of the, one of the defining values of our church, we have what we call our eight defining values, and number eight is 
our commitment to faithfully pass the gospel on to others. And when we talk about that particular defining value in our vision and values class, I always ask the folks that are there for the class, I ask them to think about four questions. Question number one, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Question number two, are you glad you're saved? Yes, I have hope. I didn't have hope before I came to Christ. Now I have hope. I'm glad I'm saved. Question number three, do you realize that God wants to do for others what he's done for you? Yeah. Yeah, I I do believe that. I, I realize that. Question number four, do you realize that God wants to use you to get that done? Friends, this is what God uses, our readiness, our winsomeness, the the humble and respectful testimony of believers speaking, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. Let me just close this morning with three very simple, very direct application questions for us. I'll put these on the website as well. Let's think about these as we close our time in the Word this morning. Question number one, Is there a deep-seated confidence in Christ that produces a deep and genuine hope that characterizes your life? Consider it carefully. Is there a deep-seated confidence in Christ that produces a deep and genuine hope that characterizes your life? Question number two. Do you genuinely believe that there are others to whom God intends to give that very same hope? People you know. People you have interactions with. Do you genuinely believe that there are others to whom God intends to give that same hope? Question number three. Are you ready to share? Are you ready to share with anyone who shows interest, who asks in whatever way, are you ready to share the good news about Jesus and the salvation that he alone can give? Friends, let us live treasuring Christ and treasuring what we have in Christ and therefore being full of hope and ready always ready to offer the good news about Jesus to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for both the clarity and the strength of your word. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to penetrate to the division of joints and marrow, even to the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And so, God, I pray in your loving mercy, would you bring your word to us and keep it it in our minds, keep it in our hearts until it has its effect. And God, I pray that as a church, we would be those who are ready, watching, looking around, seeing, paying attention, hearing any opportunity that comes to us so that we might share the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.